The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. It was 1859 on San Juan Island, a tiny chunk of land between Washington State and Vancouver Island. At the time, ownership of the island was uncertain, as it was then home to both American settlers and British employees of the Hudson's Bay Company. So in 1859, life on the island was a little bit tense as the two nations tried to work out who exactly owned the land. On June 15th of that year, something happened on San Juan Island that nearly changed the course of history. An American farmer named named, uh, Lyman Cutler saw a stray pig wandering through his potato patch, munching on his crop of potatoes. So Lyman Cutler grabbed a rifle, took aim, and he shot the pig. Well, it turned out that this wandering pig was owned by one Charles Griffin, who was a British neighbor of Irish ancestry. And when Charles Griffin heard that his pig had been shot, he was furious. He confronted his American neighbor, and some serious arguing ensued. Griffin shouted, "'Why did you kill my pig?' And Cutler responded, because your pig was eating my potatoes, that's why. It's up to you to keep your pig out of my potatoes. And Griffin replied, no, it's up to you to keep your potatoes out of my pig. As you can think, see, things got a little bit irrational. And in fact, it escalated to the point where the American farmer was threatened with arrest by the British authorities. Well, when the American government heard that, they dispatched Captain George Pickett and a bunch of troops to San Juan Island. And upon arrival, George Pickett made things even worse by declaring the whole island as United States territory. Well, the British responded by sending a fleet of heavily armed naval vessels to the coastline. And a standoff ensued as British and American soldiers stood face to face for several weeks before the conflict was finally de-escalated. Two nations nearly went to war over a dead pig with a belly full of potatoes. Can you relate at all? Have you ever found yourself fighting over something foolish? Do you know what it feels like to be in the middle of a conflict and suddenly think to yourself, how did I get here? I mean, why am I so upset? What is wrong with me? Would you like to know how to stop fighting with those around you? Would you like to discover how to decrease the amount of conflict in your life? And would you like to learn how to live with new peace in your life? Well, if you stick with me for the next 20 minutes or so, I think you might find some helpful advice. And the source of that advice is a man named James, who is the brother of Jesus. James was the lead pastor in the church in Jerusalem during some difficult times. And due to an increase in persecution, his congregation in Jerusalem actually had to scatter. And they were dealing with all kinds of difficulties. So James wrote a letter to them, and it was circulated amongst them, a letter that we now have included in the New Testament portion of our Bible. In his letter, James did the best to address the issue that his congrega- the issues that his congregation was facing. And uh, we're studying that letter verse by verse. We're picking it up today in James chapter 4. So far in this series, James has given us some coaching on how to live when stress is strong, 
how to tackle temptation, how to restore spiritual passion, and last week we looked at how to recognize true wisdom. Well, today we're looking what James has to say about this whole issue of conflict in our lives. And as I said, we're picking it up in chapter 4, starting at verse 1 in your Bible. It's going to be on the side screens. It'll also be on the outline. Hopefully, you received a copy of today's outline. If you don't own a Bible, take the copy of the Bible that's in the back of the pew in front of you. Take that home with you. That is our gift to you. That is now your Bible. Well, we're picking, up, picking it up in James chapter 4, starting at verse 1. And James begins today's coaching session by asking us a straightforward question. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Why are you fighting, James asks. Now, when someone asks me this question, nine times out of ten, I respond by telling them that I'm fighting because of how unfairly I have been treated, how wrong the other person is, and how right I am. Why am I fighting? Good question. Let me tell you why I'm fighting James, except James doesn't wait for me to respond. James doesn't even give me a chance to list my ready-made reasons for ripping into my opponent. No, James isn't interested in hearing me skim over the surface with my reasons. James immediately dives deep into the real reason. James says, you want to know how to stop fighting? You first have to recognize the cause. He says the first thing you, want to, you need to do is you have to recognize the cause. What causes fights and quarrels among you? He answers his own question. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Now, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, James goes directly to the core, to the heart of the matter. Do you want to know the real reason why you fight and quarrel with others, he asks? Here's the real source of the tension in your life. It's a frustrated heart. James says it's a frustrated heart. What causes fights and quarrels among you? They come from your desires that battle within you. Now, this is key, what I'm about to say in the next two minutes. Deep within the life of every follower of Jesus Christ there is a battle raging. Now understand something. You and I as human beings were not created to, to experience sin. You and I were created to have an, uh, an intimate, uninterrupted relationship, spirit-to-spirit relationship with God. But something happened. We were given free will, and we used our free will to reject God. We used our free will to turn our back on God's design for our lives. And we introduced into our experience something called sin and a sinful nature. Like battery acid would corrode your skin, sin corrodes our hearts and our natures. And there's nothing we can do about it. Our sin separated ourselves from God. That's not what we were designed to experience, but that's what we experience. And so we have these sinful natures, and so now our very desires are warped and corroded, and so at our very heart, we want what God hates. And that separates us from him forever. Because just like a healthy body rejects poison, a holy God rejects sin. And so we were stuck. We were in a dilemma. We were separated from God forever, and there's nothing we could do to fix it. So God did what we couldn't do. If you're here and you have a job, you are paid wages from your job. Well, the Bible uses that analogy. I'm quoting the Bible now. The Bible says, the wages that sin pays is death, separation from God. 
But the gift that God pays is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our sin pays us death, but God offers us a free gift of eternal life. That's why Jesus came. He came like a sponge. He absorbed our sin on the cross. He paid our moral debt. He died in our place. But because he himself was sinless, sin had no hold over him, so he rose from the dead. And now he says, listen, I have defeated the power of death and sin. I've defeated the power of the grave, and I am offering to share my victory with you as a free gift. I'm offering you the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Have you accepted this gift? If you've not yet accepted this gift, before this service ends today, you're going to be given the opportunity to make that decision, as many people did in our 9 o'clock service. So get ready. You're going to have an opportunity to make that decision before you leave today. But here's the thing. When you accept that gift of forgiveness and eternal life, something supernatural happens. God's Spirit actually then dwells within you. God's spirit dwells with your spirit. You have this ongoing, intimate, spirit-to-spirit relationship. But this is another important point. You still have a sinful nature. Yes, you have God's spirit living within you, but you still have that corrupted, corroded, frustrated heart. You still have that sinful nature within you. But the difference now is you no longer have to just rely on that nature to make your decisions. You now have the indwelling spirit of God also. And the presence of God is greater than the power of sin. So we now have an opportunity. We can listen to our sinful nature or we can listen to the indwelling spirit of God. They battle one another. But if we live out of the indwelling presence of God, we no longer have to live out of our frustrated hearts. But this is the dynamic that James is describing. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, deep within you, you have the Spirit of God. But you also have a frustrated heart, a nest of sinful desires. Desires that are constantly resisting and rebelling against God. So what causes quarrels and fights among you? James says, it's you've it's this, you've got a frustrated heart. And he then provides us with an x-ray of what's going on inside of that heart. First of all, James says, it's determined to get its own way. That frustrated heart is determined to get its own way. He says, you desire, but you don't have. You covet, but you can't get what you want. Now, 2,000 years ago, this letter was originally written in ancient Greek. And the word that James used for desire there is uh, epithumio. It literally means to, to have an intensely focused passion for something. Well, how intense is this focus? He uses the word covet. He says, you covet. The Greek word there is zelo, not jelo, zelo. And it literally means to boil over, to be so intense with desire that you've reached a boiling point. We fight because deep within us, we have a frustrated heart, a heart that is incredibly focused and determined to get its own way. Well, how determined is it, Darren? James says that our frustrated heart is so determined that it is destructive in its pursuit. He says, so you quarrel and fight, you even kill. In an old monastery in Bebenhausen, Germany, there is a fascinating display. Mounted upon the wall are two pairs of antlers interlocked, stuck together. 
They were found in that position many years ago. Apparently, these two deer had been fighting. Their horns jammed together. They became locked, and they couldn't be separated, and that's how they died. What a powerful picture of the level of determination and destruction that our frustrated hearts are capable of. What causes quarrels and and fights among you? James says, you've got a frustrated heart, a heart that's determined to get its own way, a heart that's destructive in its pursuit, and according to James, a heart that is detached from God's will. He says, you don't have because you don't ask God. James is saying, you're feeling empty because you don't ask God to fill your emptiness. Well, why don't we ask God? Because deep down, we know how we want our hunger to be filled is wrong. Because deep down, we know that that the desires we want to feed are destructive. And we know God wouldn't answer our, our prayers that way. So we sometimes find ourselves living our lives focused upon our frustrated heart instead of God's indwelling spirit, and we find ourselves detached from God's presence, from the experience of God's presence, put it that way. Now, don't misunderstand me. When we live this way, we still have God's presence within us. We're simply not accessing his presence within us. When we're fighting and quarreling, we're living out of our frustrated heart. We're living as though we are strangers to God. We're turning our backs on him. We're living detached from his will. Because that's what a frustrated heart does. Now here is where the determination of our sinful nature shows through. When we're living out of our frustrated heart, we normally don't ask God to grant our desires because we know our requests are going to be rejected by God. But every now and then, our frustrated heart is so determined to get its own way that it pours on the perfume, that it puts on its Sunday best clothing and tries to sneak one past God. Every now and then, our frustrated heart will ask God to fulfill one of our sinful desires. John Ward was a member of the British Parliament many years ago. When he died, his family went through his belongings, and amongst his papers, they found this prayer that John had written out. It's on the side screens. He wrote this prayer. O Lord, you know that I have land in the city of London and that I recently purchased an estate in the county of Essex. I ask you to preserve those two areas from fire and earthquake, and as I also have some property in Hertfordshire, I beg you to likewise show compassion and mercy upon that area as well. As for the rest of the counties, eh, you can deal with them as you're pleased. I don't care about the rest of the country, but I just pray your blessing upon those two areas where I own property. I think James was picturing, picturing prayers like that when he wrote, When you ask, you don't receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You see, not only is a frustrated heart determined to get its own way, destructive in its pursuit, and detached from God's will, but James tells us that it's also deluded in its thinking. It's completely deluded in its thinking. When you ask, you don't receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives. That's why you're deluded. Why do we fight? Why do we quarrel with one another? James is telling it to us straight. If we want to stop fighting, we first need to recognize the cause of our fighting. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? 
You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You don't have because you don't ask God, and when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James is telling us that the cause of our fighting is a frustrated heart. And when we live out of this frustrated heart, when we support this sinful nature, we live detached from God, responding to desires that are in opposition to God. And let's face it, when you want what God hates, you hate what God wants. And according to James, that's exactly where living out of a frustrated heart leads us. Look what he says next in his letter in verse 4. He says, you adulterous people, now he's speaking to Christ followers, his congregation, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity or, or, or being enemies with, against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world, and world here means a corrupt value system, anyone who chooses to be a friend with the world with this corrupt value system around us becomes an enemy of God. According to James, when we claim to follow Christ, yet continue to feed our frustrated heart, we're living in two worlds. James likens it to having an affair, to living an adulterous life, never truly experiencing joy, never truly knowing peace. Is it any wonder we're so quick to quarrel and fight when we're feeling this way? So what's the answer? What's the solution to this inner turmoil? Well, James is coaching us towards that solution. There's an old proverb, an old saying amongst counselors, you can't fix what you won't acknowledge. So if you're going to fix your fighting, you first have to acknowledge your source. You first have to recognize the cause, as we've learned from James. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? According to James, the cause of our quarrels is a frustrated heart. But recognizing the cause, that's only half the battle. The next step, as your outline says, is to receive the cure. You've got to recognize the cause, but then you've got to receive the cure. What is that cure? Well, let's pick it up in verse 5 to 10. He says, do you think that Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives, shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and the devil will flee from you. Come near to God, and God will come near to you. And then he gets hyperbolic, very poetic and dramatic here. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. How do you receive the cure? Apparently, the first thing you and I need to do is to realize that we're loved. Realize that you are loved. This first beginning, verse 5 here, it's a, a verse that translators have had trouble translating for centuries. It says, do you think that scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he's caused to dwell in us? Now that phrase, jealously long, you might want to circle that on your outline or in your Bible. It literally means to greatly desire or to stretch oneself towards. It's the picture of a sprinter as they reach the finish line, straining forward, stretching with everything that they have. 
In a similar way, God jealously longs to have a spirit-to-spirit relationship with you, meaning God is running towards you. God is straining towards you. He loves you. He's pursuing you. He's stretching towards you, reaching out to you. Yes, you're in a battle, and that battle sometimes leads you to fight and quarrel. Yes, sometimes you have desires that drag you away from what you were created to be. But that doesn't mean you give up. The first step towards the solution to this inner turmoil is to realize you are loved, unconditionally loved with the purest love imaginable. Realize that God has not abandoned you in your battle. Realize that God doesn't respond to your your struggle by loving you less. God responds to your struggle by giving you more. Look what James writes next. But he gives us more grace. How do you receive the cure that will stop the fighting in your life? The first thing you need to do is realize you're loved. And the second thing you need to do is to receive God's supernatural assistance. He says he gives us more grace. Now, what does that phrase mean, he gives us more grace? Well, as your outline says, the word grace in this context represents the free and full provision available to every Christ follower. Grace here is the free and full provision available to every Christ follower. Hear this. This is so crucial. Being a follower of Jesus is not about being a religious person. There's an element of religion to it, of of right and wrong and truths and principles, yes, but that's not Christianity at its core. At its core, Christianity, following Jesus, is a supernatural spiritual experience. That's what it is. It's not just any religion. It is a supernatural experience, spirit to spirit. If you're not comfortable with the supernatural, you can't be a follower of Jesus. Because to be a follower of Jesus is to have your spirit and the spirit of God living in a relationship together. His spirit enabling your spirit to live above your sinful nature, above your frustrated heart. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And he gives us more grace in this relationship, in the midst of our trials and difficulties and temptations. He pumps in more power, pumps in more grace into our lives in the midst of our battle. Enabling us to do through him what we could never do on our own. As your outline says, enabling us to say no to sin and yes to God. Enabling us to resist the evil one and run towards the holy one. Enabling us to say no to sin and yes to God. It took me years to figure this out as a new Christ follower. For the first several years of my life as a follower of Jesus, I thought that I was supposed to read Scripture and then on my own strength and my own willpower do what I read in the Bible. And newsflash, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I kept failing. I kept struggling. I tried to pull up my socks and and pull up my bootstraps, and I couldn't do it. Oh, it would be good for a while, and then I would stumble. I would fall. And I would give up, and I'd think God was so angry at me. And then I came to realize what I was living wasn't Christianity. Christianity isn't, here's the rules, now live by them. Christianity is, here's God's design, now live in spirit-to-spirit relationship with God as he enables you to live the life he's calling you to live. And so now I find myself praying, God, I'm wanting in my sinful desire, my frustrated heart wants this. And if you don't give me the power to say no, I'm going to find myself going that direction. God, I'm calling on you. Help me. Deliver me from the evil one. 
This supernatural provision, this supernatural power, this supernatural presence is only accessible to those who have the humility to recognize the cause and receive the cure. Well, let's conclude. Are you finished with quarreling and fighting? Are you tired of arguing over pigs and potatoes? Are you exhausted from wrestling with your desires? Are you weary from competing with those around you to quench the emptiness that lies within you? You don't have to live that way. You don't have to quarrel for quality. You don't have to fight for fulfillment. Stop living out of your frustrated heart and start living out of God's indwelling presence. Which brings us to our big idea. If you're new to Broadway, every week we do our best to sum up the day's teaching with one simple sentence we call our big idea. Here's today's big idea at all of our campuses, in all of our services. You will stop fighting with those around you when you start surrendering to the one within you. You'll stop fighting with those around you when you start surrendering to the one within you. If you want to stop fighting with others, you first need to deal with your own heart. That's what James is trying to tell you today. Now, the details of the conflict and the person that you're fighting with and what you're fighting over, that's just the tip of the iceberg. It's what's beneath that surface, the heart, that you need to address first. If you do that, if you start by surrendering to the one within you, you then position yourself to take some next practical steps. For example, here's some classic conflict resolution skills, intentionally owning what you have contributed to the conflict, and then actively listening to the views and concerns of the other person, and then working together to find one practical step that each of you can take to bridge the gap. Those are practical conflict, classic conflict resolution skills, but I want you to know, they won't work unless you first deal with what's beneath the surface in your life, unless you first recognize the cause your frustrated heart. Until you deal with that first, this is only surface stuff and it won't ultimately last. These things will only be effective if they're done from a peaceful and surrendered heart. A heart that has chosen to be humble. A heart that has recognized its need for a cure and reached out to receive that cure. When you do that, when you bow your heart, he will lift it up. Because you will stop fighting with those around you when you start surrendering to the one within you.